Hey, Feisty listeners, we're back to kickstart your week with another episode of Feisty Founders. This week, we're talking to Gloria Chu. Gloria is a PR mentor and pitch guru, helping early stage founders get recognized as industry leaders without ever paying for sponsored content. As a former U.S. diplomat that's never worked in PR or had any industry contacts, Gloria's mission is to make PR more accessible so all founders can learn how to get traction and build credibility without hiring an agency to do it for them. We are so excited to hear about her journey today. All right. Hi, Gloria. Welcome to Feisty Founders. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to to be a Feisty Founder. (laughs) I know. And we love that name just because we think it really embodies, you know, what it's like to be a founder and, and all of the kind of the elements that you have to bring to the table. So... With that said, I'd love if you could just give us a overview of what you do with your business. So I help early stage founders and especially female founders uh, learn how to pitch their story so they don't have to rely on ads or even pay expensive PR agencies to tell their story because we all know that getting press is the number one way to get sustainable traffic and that credibility, which is so, so important in today's day and age. Wow. Very succinct. I can tell you're in PR because you're very, you're good at communicating. (laughs) Um, How did you kind of get into this space? You know, I'm assuming that you must have a PR background before you decided to kind of launch your own thing. You know, it's so funny that you asked. I've actually never worked a single day of my life in a PR agency. I've never worked at a marketing agency. I was a former U.S. diplomat, so I studied politics. And um, my whole thing is if I can do it, you can do it too, because I started with zero Rolodex. I didn't know a single reporter. I never studied journalism. Basically had to cold call my way to get my clients onto the New York Times, Fast Company, what have you. And now I put everything I learned into a method that founders can basically learn and do the same thing. Because I I, I really think that PR should not be a luxury item that you have to hire someone to do for you. Mm, wow, that's amazing. I, I think I want to really deep dive into your background and your story in a little bit. But I also want to just go over a couple of things so that anyone who's listening can kind of get a really good overview of the work that you do in terms of how you can help female founders in particular with these PR initiatives. So I've been told on the grapevine that you have a three step process to getting press. Would you mind sharing what that process is? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, let's just rewind a little bit more, right? So there's such a media landscape, right? So there's the paid stuff and then there's the earned media. And earned media is like when you are a thought leader and a person from the New York Times, a reporter wants to interview you and because you are an industry authority. So that is really what I help founders do, which is to break away from kind of the pay to play, which, you know, there is a time and space for that. But I think being able to position yourself as a true thought leader um, and sharing your uh, insiders, like market perspectives, where the industry is headed, that is what's going to build authority. So that is really what I mean by helping founders get featured in the press where you cannot pay, um, you know, an influencer to feature you, right? I'm talking about like legitimate uh, journalism. So that takes some mental gymnastics. I think a lot of founders are so heads down in their product. They're so confident in pitching their product to get, you know, people to buy from a, you know, ROI perspective, but speaking to the press is something completely different, right? You want to step away from your product and really think of yourself as a thought leader. So how do we do this? I've come up with a three-step process 
where founders, even without a website, can pitch themselves confidently to the press. The first step is you need to have a media list. You need to know who is in the position to cover your story. And I don't mean sending a pitch to newsroom at New York Times or editor-in-chief at Fast Company. I mean, who are the tech writers if you're in tech? If you're in wellness, maybe it's someone who covers lifestyle and wellness, right? You need to know their names, their emails, especially their social media, because your fight for their attention will never be more in your favor. They are very open to connecting with people on social media. My favorite are LinkedIn and Instagram. So those are the two platforms that I use to connect with, with reporters. And um, so having that information is so, so key. You wanna have uh, an Excel spreadsheet where you can organize that so that you know exactly who's covering your story. And you also wanna do research on what they're used to covering, right? Because you don't want to pitch something about your leather bag line when the person is actually a vegan, right? So you don't wanna make that mistake. <laughs> another great uh, way, or another reason why you wanna have an organized media list is that if you do research on what they've written about in the past, you can give them a compliment. And that is such an easy and casual way to start that conversation when you don't when you've never met the editor before, right? But it's by saying, I really love your coverage about X, Y, and Z, and it really um, resonated with me, right? So that's just gonna help you be more confident in pitching to an editor. So that's number one. And you can also download your free media template if you go on my website, gloriachowpr.com, that's C-H-O-U. So now we talked about the first step. Second step is you need to transform your marketing brochure into a press-worthy story. And this is really, really the number one key skill, I think, for all founders. If you can master this one skill, it means you're going to be invited to so many tables, right? Because you're no longer just like pushing your product or your agenda. You're truly giving something of value by giving insights on what's going to happen. So I realized from all the times that I've cold called reporters and gotten phone slammed in my face, I started to pick up on patterns of what worked and what didn't. And I put it into a method called my CPR pitching method. Are you ready for this? Mm, ready. <laughs> so C stands for credibility. You need to have a one sentence uh, inclusion in there where you just talk about why you're in the position to pitch the story. It could be as simple as I am a female founder, you know, or I am a, a, a mother and I've invented an app for, you know, moms, whatever it is, right? P stands for point of view. You want to have a point of view on where your industry is headed. Maybe it's changing consumer behaviors. Maybe it's how 2020 has impacted your industry. You know, whatever it is, use predictions because experts like to use predictions. A lot of times you see talking heads on TV. Um, they're not scientists, but they just make a very simple prediction and they're invited to speak on TV. The great thing about <laughs> predictions is that there's no legal responsibility. No one can really see the future, right? So even if you're just 1% like, ahead of the game and give some, you know, brief things about what's going to happen on the horizon, like three trends to look for in 2021 or, you know, whatever it is that will help you position yourself as, as a, as an expert. Um, and then the R in CPR method stands for relevance. That tells the editor why your pitch is important right now. And it's not just like, a, you know, a recycled pitch that you've been sending for five years. So what do I mean by that? I mean, you want to put in, maybe it's something to do with 2021. Maybe it's a seasonal thing. So if you are a career coach, maybe it has to do with around graduation, helping people find jobs. 
if you're in retail or fashion, maybe it has to do with the holiday uh, season of shopping and what the consumer insights are. What are the top trends, right? What do consumers want? What, what are the color palettes? Whatever that is. If you're in business or finance, it might be something to do with um, the new laws. If you are like a tax accountant, it might be something around tax day. So think about how you can make your pitch super relevant so that they want to cover you now and not three years from now. So having mm. a CPR pitch makes your pitch I want to say 80 to 90% there. And that gives you a winning framework where you can successfully write out an email pitch without being clueless about you know, what to write. The third one is while you are sending out your pitch, you can still do things to raise your profile. For example, contribute to a higher domain authority website like a Medium or a Forbes or an entrepreneur. They all accept contributor um, pieces, but they will only accept mm. it if you haven't yet published it anywhere else. So I always say to founders, stop spinning your wheels, stop posting these perfectly polished pieces on your blog that you know maybe 10 or 20 or 100 people are going to read. Instead, offer that up to a higher domain, uh, you know, a more popular website first. So that's in a very you know, nutshell, cliff notes version of my three-step mm -hmm. method of how anyone can get press even without a website. Wow. That's amazing. I'm so glad this is recorded so that I can go back and listen to this over and over again and maybe even annotate it so that I fully can understand the process. That's really, really incredible that you have been able to kind of figure this all out on the job, it sounds like. So in terms of backing up, I would love to hear your story. It sounds like it's very fascinating from politics to PR. You know, where did that leap come from and, and what really interests you about not only PR, but also being a female founder yourself? You know, I think PR, it gets kind of, um, it's an interesting uh, phrase, right? Because I think a lot of people think PR is this age-old industry. It's, um, you know, there's a high barrier to entry. Um, it's this like mystic thing that's like a puzzle. And I really want to make it my mission so that anyone can feel comfortable being their PR hero. But I think it really comes down to this. I just love seeing people win. And I love being people's advocates. I always say that I'm everyone's like unofficial hype woman, like nothing makes me happier. Right. So mm. PR is, is an industry that resonates with me because I help people feel empowered enough to actually put themselves out there so that they can get their story in front of more people. So you can call it PR, you can call it empowerment, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, but that's really how I made the switch. So I was always interested in um, you know, international relations. I grew up in a bicultural household. I'm Chinese American. I studied abroad. So that was always a part of my life that I was really interested in. But I had this other part that I really, really loved, which was storytelling. And so I always would volunteer myself to film documentaries. And, you know, at the embassy, I would help the ambassador write all of his speeches. So the communication piece was always hmm. there. And um, when I hit age 30, I was looking at, you know, maybe going going on my second tour, maybe 25 more years in the diplomatic service with a pension. I had a really cushy job. But then I realized, like, if I don't jump ship now, I'm not really going to lead a fulfilling life that really, you know, is answering my calling. So I had to give up the pension and basically start from scratch, move back into my parents' house. Um, it was kind of an ego killer wow. <laughs> um, because good. nobody would hire me. Yeah. Because PR agencies were like, well, okay, you have strong writing chops, but like you've never worked at an agency, so I'm very confused. So I basically <laughs> just started to pitch and get, you know, very, very small early stage clients with no marketing budget. I'm talking like two engineers and the founder, and they only paid me if I got them a feature, which is like not even mm -hmm. heard of in PR, right? Because there's mm -hmm. like never a guarantee. 
And I just basically started cold calling. Um, and I perfected my elevator pitch through hundreds of cold calls um, to make my methods. And I realized there actually is uh, a need for this because no one's serving the solo entrepreneur, the small business, right? No one's serving that PR agencies. They want you to yeah. sign on for six months. And I think I really found my niche in, in a way. Um, because that is that is really my ideal client, right? It's it's the person wearing all the hats um, and is trying to learn all the things. So, <laughs> just like you, right? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's pretty incredible. In terms of the social pressure of going from this cushy job to trying to launch something on your own, was there you know external pressure? Did people tell you were crazy? Did your parents go, "What are you doing back in our house"? Was it kind of that, or did you get a lot of good support? Uh, no, you know, my um, Asian, Asian family, tiger mom, um, she stopped talking to me for six months. She oh, no. said that I was, I was uh, crazy for throwing away a career that I think, you know, I, I think that the numbers were like 4% of people who actually take the test, like get into, yeah. um, you know, the, 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 the diplomatic service. That's what and, I thought. I mean, like it's so coveted. <laughs> it's such a competitive field. Um, but it just was killing me, you know, and, and, and I just realized I'm not a bureaucrat and I'm really an entrepreneur and, mm. um, and, and I just, I had to make the hard decision because I was just deeply unfulfilled. Um, and mm. again, I just had to live a life not for other people. So it was very hard. I wish I could sit here and say it was an easy transition that I went from, you know, being the diplomat to another <laughs> comfortable job, but it wasn't, I mean, I, I was on unemployment for a long time and I think through the years of, my failure and slowly building a business, learning how to write a contract, like how to set my rates and how to deal with, you know, clients that all was a part of the process. And it was so necessary yeah. for me to get to where I am right now. And I'm sure you can relate because you're also a founder as well. And it's not easy yeah. to build something. No, it's like maybe the hardest job you can choose for yourself. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's really, really incredible. I'm just really blown away by your tenacity and your ability to make that decision. Do you feel like you always had the confidence to kind of do something? Like, I think a lot of people who are miserable in their jobs don't necessarily gain the confidence to leave, especially when it's a coveted, high paying job. Were you just naturally confident in this or did you just sort of realize like, this is the breaking point. I've got to do something. Well, you know, I was very unhappy and I was also in a not so great relationship. So I think it was a lot of things that just weren't going in my favor. And I, I you know, I had all this anxiety and I was depressed. And then I, I was just got to a point where I had to make a decision, which is sign on for three more years, which would lead to maybe five or 10 or just jump ship right now without a path. And I realized it was just an ego thing. And, and I, I, you know, I had enough savings to do it. It just didn't please my ego to not have like another <laughs> landing, like, a, like you know, a, another, another path. So the decision came to that, unfortunately. And I think it was the universe testing me, saying how badly do you believe in yourself and, and the other path that's uncertain, but that there is another path. Are you willing to give up all of this stuff? You know, I had, had insurance that would cover massages. You know, I would get massages every week, <laughs> things like that. How willing are you to pursue something else, even though you don't know the path, right? And so I just said yes. And, um, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be homeless. You know, I, I had some savings and, you know, I, I, I didn't have children to support. And so I had to make that difficult decision. And since then, it's, it's really, I think, 
shown me that at the end of the day, like it's just your ego and your mm. fear of uncertainty. And if you are in the position to really just take the leap and if you're not going to be homeless and if you, you know, don't have children to feed, then I think you really should go for it because, you know, I think there's nothing worse than like spending five, 10 more years, you know, living a life because you're not sure what's going to be on the other side of it, right? Your life is yours to live. And I think because I now experience that, like, you know, being on the other side of it, I have a thriving business and I'm happier than ever. Um, I realize it's, it's just your perspective and it's, it's literally like no one's judging you but yourself. So I think if the sooner you're comfortable with uncertainty and failure, because there's been a lot of times that I failed and that's what's built my, built my business, um, the more invincible you're going to become, you know, so just start early and you just got to start before you're ready. Wow. I'm just trying to take all of this in. You know, I've interviewed a lot of people and I've heard some really incredible stories, but this one is really, really top notch just in terms of kind of the inspirational element. And this, for me, this notion of really just having to surrender and kind of trust that you're going to be supported despite the uncertainty and not to go too much into my own story while we're talking to you. But for me, that was such a crucial element was Partly the reason why I decided to start a business was because I wanted the opportunity to trust myself and to trust in something higher than me to help me. And so it's really interesting to hear you to speak about that just in terms of leaping into uncertainty and expecting failure, knowing that that is the only way you're going to be able to grow. So it's, it's great. I think this is really fabulous advice because I don't think anybody who starts a business is going to be able to do so without experiencing that uncertainty. Yeah, it's almost like a hazing process where entrepreneurship, it's almost <laughs> like how badly do you want it, right? Because you're going to have ugly cries and sleepless nights, but the ability to craft your future, to launch offers, to pivot and to be like, this doesn't work for me anymore. Um, it's almost like a badge of honor. I always say that like, until you've had to like fire a client or have gone through like some <laughs> really bad times that you haven't really earned that badge. And I have now, um, and, and you just, you just learn, you know? So I think that anytime I have, like, I, I even spent, um, you know, I, I spent like $5,000 on a copywriter who launched this offer for me and it turned out to be a nightmare. And, and I was oh, just, no. it was not happy. And, and I just didn't really enjoy this offer. So I had to scrap the whole thing, rebuild the website and um, pivot. And now I know, wow. and now I launch offers with much more clarity and that's just part of the learning process, right? I mean, that is, that is what um, and it takes to be in a truly original entrepreneurs. There's a lot of people out there, coaches who are just basically doing the same thing as everyone else, right? Like regurgitating mm -hmm. the same templates. That's going to be okay for, you know, for a little while, but I think people, appreciate authenticity people appreciate that you've also been in the trenches because they don't want to trust and buy from somebody who hasn't been there before mm, yeah that's so true in terms of resource constraints i mean like that is such a real thing losing money on something that you thought was going to be a home run and then being like oh that was a total flop like three strikes i am out for you in terms of you know funding your business and getting it off the ground. Mostly I'm assuming in the beginning, it was probably just sort of your time. And that was kind of the main resource there in terms of the time and effort that it took. What about though, when you were starting to grow and where did you get the resources? Was it all self-funded or were you able to get any support from others? So for me, I mean, I think, I think there's a really interesting time and money. I want to say like cycle or relationship, right? When you start something, your time is cheaper, 
right? Because you are wanting to do everything yourself. You're learning the ins, ins and outs and that's fine. But as you get better at communicating your value and delivering your results, your time becomes more and more precious. So the ability to use the mm. funds that you have to hire out people like experts, like website builders and accountants and um, marketers, like I don't do any of that stuff anymore, but I used to do it all on my own. And the ability to mm -hmm. collapse time gives you your time back to really deliver content that's helpful to your audience. So for me, it's like, you know, addressing mindset or teaching people how to pitch or hosting my free master classes. But of course it takes some time to get there. So it's funny how in the beginning you have all this time and you treat time and money maybe around the same. And then the more you scale, the more you build, the more expensive your time comes, you realize like, I'd rather pay someone, you know, to do this because my time mm -hmm. is more important. So that's kind of a sign mm -hmm. that you're like well on your way. So for me, it was starting, you know, obviously one-on-one -on -one work. I was a, a consultant. Um, so I was doing start uh, startup PR, just like any other, you know, PR consultant pay me monthly. And when COVID hit in April, I lost 60 grand worth of contracts. And I realized I don't really love working with bigger startups anymore. And I have the method and tools to teach founders how to do it themselves. And at this point, nobody really have thought about it because a lot of people are like, well, PR is just something you hire other people to do. You know, like you need to have the relationships. Mm. And my whole career was like, I never had the relationships. So I don't think that's true <laughs> because I've gone yeah. So it's a matter of like, how can I scale my one-on-one -on -one knowledge and put it into whether it's like a digital product or a master class and actually like like make a bigger impact by sharing with you the exact methods that I used. Um, and so that's what I'm doing now. I just launched my first uh, PR in a box uh, membership. It's called the PR Starter Pack. It's the world's first PR agency solution at a fraction of the price. It gives you a media database. It gives you all of my winning pitches. It gives you how to pitch, when to pitch, um, you know, how to get into a gift guide. If you are a, a, a founder of a physical product, how to get on a podcast, right? Um, and that's not really mm. been done before. And, and it's at, at the price point, it's like unheard of. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been, it's been quite a ride uh, coming up with these offers because I never had the blueprint of you know, PR agency work. Mm -hmm. So it's been a blessing in a way, um, even though in the beginning it was very tough. Yeah, I think there's something really strong to be said just in terms of if you don't have domain experience, then you're going to be much more creative in terms of what that should look like for others. And you may have a more just better and keener insight into what actual founders really need. Because if I was to walk to a PR agency, I'm sure they'd probably give me something that's far beyond my resource constraints and beyond my capabilities and beyond the constraints of my team. So you need to kind of be able to hit people where, where you've experienced it and where they can. Um, I think it's definitely a, a misbelief that domain experience is necessary to launch a successful business because it's just not true. That's a myth. Exactly. I mean, look at Spanx, right? Look at your company. It's people who yeah. have actually been there and they're like, oh my God, no one is doing it this way. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a need for it. So I applaud all the founders who are listening. If you've ever come up with an idea and people are like, well, why would you do this? It's been done before and you're still doing it your own way. Um, I applaud you because mm -hmm. you are serving that person who needs to hear that message. Mm. And so just to get a, an overview of your timeline, when did you start your, your company and and how did COVID impact that? I mean, I know that you spoke a little bit about kind of the pivot that you made, but you know, I'm assuming that this last however many months, 10 months or so has been probably tumultuous for you. So I left the foreign service in, I want to say the end of uh, 2016. 
And it took me a year to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And then I started, um, you know, doing the consulting work on a monthly retainer basis, um, starting from like 2017 and 2018. And then when COVID happened in April, I did my first productize offer where I was no longer trading my time for money. And I put everything in kind of a box, like, you know, the PR starter pack, which was Mm -hmm. one-on-one work. And then it just last month, Around Black Friday, I launched this PR Starter Pack member vault. That was basically mm. putting in to a, a digital access everything I've learned in the media context so that founders can access it ASAP. Um, you know, with, at, at a price point that's un, unheard of. It's, you know, it's under $1,000 right now, but it has 20,000 editors' contacts, you know, down to the actual micro level on where wow. to find them on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. I gave you trainings on how to pitch and how to, and the structure of a perfect pitch. I show you exactly the pitch that got my client without a website onto Fast Company shape well and good and bustle. So I'm constantly adding things to it and I'm excited to build that and form a real community around it. Mm, That's really interesting. That kind of brings me back to the idea of, you know, what is your time worth? And the difference between a services business and a product business is that all of a sudden you don't have to spend so much time with each individual client necessarily. So congrats to you for launching that. Have you noticed, I mean, I know it's, it's recent. Have you noticed a shift in how you treat your business and, and sort of just the available time that you have? I think in the beginning we all, you know, you gotta, you gotta have that trust, right? I don't work. I've never come from like a huge PR agency. So I paid my dues by again, giving so much of my time for free. And I, at one point I I was on 20 sales calls a week and I was going crazy. I was so stressed out and, you know, but, but I did it, you know, I I did it and I was doing my, you know, one-on-one work. And then I realized like, how can I make this more accessible so that founders can be empowered to take the assets that are proven to work and make it their own. Right. So that, so that, that kind of transformation and like making myself not, I don't want to say less accessible, but only working with founders who are empowered enough to be able to take the resources and run with it. That's really the main pivot because that's, those are the founders I want to work with. Mm. If you want more handholding, there's so many PR agencies out there who will do it for you, but that's not going to teach you how to fish for life. Right. But if you are a truly a scrappy founder, you understand that if you know how to pitch to press, that is something that's always going to pay off, then my product is for you. So mm-hmm. then, you know, I stopped doing as much one-on-one consultations and I really focus on making this uh, membership as robust as possible. Hmm. Good for you. Um, so one thing that I, I really like about your offering and the way that you help individuals is your kind of focus on helping with mindset shifts. You want to tell me a little bit about that? I know that you mentioned limiting beliefs earlier. You know, what's your philosophy on that? Well, I I hear many objections, but the first and, you know, the biggest one I think that stops your momentum the most is I'm not ready for PR or I need to have a certain customer base for PR or I need to have a website Mm. for PR. I've heard it all before and I've smashed every single one of those beliefs with (laughs) actual examples. Um, For example, a client I worked with, Tanisha Glenn, she was crowdfunding, like I'm talking like Kickstarter status Mm -hmm. for a fitness studio during COVID. So not only does she not have a physical space and she didn't have investors, she was crowdfunding for an idea, right? Mm. Um, And so the pitch that we wrote for her was positioning herself as a fitness and wellness thought leader and how the fitness industry can be more inclusive, right? And bridge the wellness gap, especially because COVID has disproportionately affected different populations. So that pitch got her onto Shape, Bustle, Well and Good, Time Magazine, Pop Sugar, Wallpaper within 
one month of us working together. Now she is a resourceful, tenacious individual. She took that pitch and the media list and she literally like messaged and DM people. So you need to have that energy that you really Mm -hmm. do have something of value. I find that the founders who just like send an email pitch and they don't hear back and they're like, oh, well, like, you know, I give up. Those are not the founders that are going to go very far because if you really truly believe that you have valuable insight and that is what the PR starter pack and the CPR pitch allows you to do is it gives you like a, you know, a truly valuable pitch. And if you have valuable information, people have to share that that want to, you know, hear from you, you have to really truly believe in that. And that is what's going to take you from, you know, just emailing once to following up as many times as required. And so that's what she did. And now, you know, her LinkedIn is off the hook. She has like so many people messaging her (laughs) and she, I just found out two weeks ago was the recipient of a $25,000 grant from American Express. Oh, wow. She is well on her way. I'm, I'm so proud of her. That's amazing. And you feel like that a lot of that success came from this PR sort of publicity that she got. 100% because I could feel her being more empowered to tell her story because when you start to get interviews, when you start to be able to share your story on podcasts, you yourself get more clear on your messaging and you reflect on your story, right? And there's a power Mm -hmm. in connecting with an audience and leveraging someone else's audience. So I, I, I really do believe that being able to be in the place where you feel comfortable pitching yourself. That is literally the number one skill that you need to have, I think for the longevity of your business, because it's going to take that tenacity. And I'm sure you know this too, to keep pitching, to keep adapting and to keep Mm. basically being your best advocate because no one's going to do it for you unless you do it for yourself. Mm. So true. So in terms of kind of a team that you've built out, is it still sort of mostly you or do you get freelancers for the different tasks you have, or do you have some people on your team? Well, back to the time and money thing, the more I scale my business, the more I just, I can't keep doing everything on my own because I realize I don't have a zone of genius everywhere, you know? (laughs) So I have four people on my team now. I have a tech person who manages, you know, the the product side. She's wonderful. Um, And I have um, uh, an intern who is also wonderful. She's the one that got me on this podcast. Her name is Emmy. Um, I have a (laughs) virtual assistant, um, you know, and, and I have, you know, other contractors that I hire also have a social media manager as well, because Mm. I am not an expert in all of the things. Right. And, um, and I realize my energy is, is my, my desired most passionate zone is creating content that will truly help founders. And so at the more time I can get back, the more time I can use to do that. Mm. Yeah. So real. So real. I um, noticed a huge shift with me as soon as I got a team, I was like, okay, wow, you know, I've got some free time. I can really think about the offering now instead of just doing all of these tasks. So it's, it's such a transition, I think, to go from being all buyers and trying to do everything to being capable of, you know, splitting your, splitting your tasks and duties with other people. So that's awesome. In terms of, you know, your strategies for building out a team, you know, you have this woman who handles all of your tech. How did you find her? You know, where did you kind of make these connections? Well, I have to say in the beginning, when you're doing one-on-one work, it's very easy, right? Because you're selling Mm -hmm. your one-on-one time. But then as you pivot away from that, you still have to communicate your value and still give the same results when you're not doing one-on-one. So that means 
becoming a full-time marketer and being able to have systems and processes to automate mm -hmm. your, your systems. So, um, she was actually, she's actually the, the third tech person that I hired. Um, the first two weren't a great fit. And look, there's so many digital platforms out there, right? There's Kajabi, there's Kartra, there's mm -hmm. Thinktific, and it's going to take some time to find the right one. Um, I put all of my systems into Kartra, which is kind of an all-in-one business. It does your email marketing and it also has like your digital products and memberships and, you know, support desk, but there's all different ones. So she definitely is great at that because she's been working at it forever. I'm not sure that I'm going to keep with it with Kartra every, it seems like every month they come out with a new program. <laughs> um, but you know, she's great at building the backside of my business. And then mm. my social media person is wonderful. I actually found her on Instagram. And this is another thing I've learned is that you cannot be on all the platforms, right? It's yeah. like LinkedIn was my thing. And I was like on fire with LinkedIn. And when I pivoted after COVID to not working as much with startups and really serving the female founder, I realized Instagram was where I needed to be. Mm. And so then it was like a whole thing. Thing, like building the Instagram thing, right? Um, and my time is limited. So it means that I'm not on Pinterest. I'm not on YouTube. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not doing SEO. Yeah. So I really want to focus on my email building and my Instagram. And those are kind of my two, two avenues to get, you know, to, to get and, 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 and deliver content. Because I realize that, you know, I, I can't be on all the things and, and it's not helpful for me to be on all the things. Oh my gosh. That's such good advice for anyone listening please take that to heart because there's just too many options now in the world. It's just information overload and you ha really have to make sure that you focus in on the things that are going to sort of make the biggest dent with your goals. Yeah. And, and you know, no one's going to know for sure what that is, mm. right? You just listen to your ideal customer. You ask them where they are and, and how they like to consume information. And then you just process of elimination. You know, I've been playing around with maybe doing something with Pinterest, but I just, I don't think that that's going to happen in the near future. I have a lot of other mm -hmm. things going on. Um, you know, I really want to get my email list like super robust and email list is super powerful, right? Because people opt in and they convert at a rate that's much higher than social media. So, you know, mm -hmm. you have different things. And, and for me, like, you know, podcasts, I really love it because I really love speaking on our podcast mm. about connecting with you and the host. So you just got to find your sweet spot, you know? Mm. Mm. Good advice. In terms of what your initial vision was and how it's changed, I mean, obviously you've had a pivot in there and I'm sure COVID sort of forced you to pivot in many ways, but what was your initial vi vision? How have you executed that and how has it changed? Well, my initial vision before COVID was just keep doing my, my consultancy and trading time for money. Right. And mm -hmm. then I realized I had a system that as long as you give people an equation for success that they can they can duplicate and replicate, you don't need to do as much handholding. And so I realized that in building this digital membership, I can still give my clients all of the assets and things that they need to succeed without having to handhold them every step of the way. So that that meant that my customer life cycle was much shorter right? Because I'm not working with a startup for six months anymore. And it meant that I had to become a full-time marketer. So I had to learn all about the sales funnel. How do I get leads? How do I get people <laughs> to get on my webinar? How do I sell on the webinar? How do I automate? So that was like literally the past six months of my business, building all of that on the back end, watching so many tutorials and investing thousands of dollars into courses um, because I, because mm. I want to learn from the best of the best. And so that's really been a mindset yeah. shift is a investing in, you know, collapsing time. So whether that's through courses or experts and hiring people, and then B um, realizing that you can still make an impact and be, make yourself accessible without always having to do one-on-one -on -one work with clients. Hmm, absolutely key. 
What do you feel is the most essential quality to being a founder? Oh, I think I've said it before, but I think is um, being being able to um, start before you're ready and <laughs> being a failure champion. Mm. Like I, I, I would not have, I would not be where I am today if I did not have to have cold called, you know, all those hundreds of newsrooms with five seconds mm-hmm. to refine my elevator pitch. But each time I did it, I got a little bit better, right? Yep. Each time I do, I get a little bit sharper. Each time I stutter a little bit less, I get less sweaty. <laughs> so, so it's like being able to just start and fall on your face and scuff up your knees and do it over and over again. That has really, that has been the secret to my, my success, I think so far. And um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel great, right? It doesn't feel great when I launch an offer. It doesn't work. It doesn't feel great when I, you know, mess up on a webinar, but each time mm-hmm. I get better, I, I get to my points, but like even on this podcast, right? In the beginning, a lot of people who have never been on a podcast, they're very nervous, right? They don't know how to mm-hmm. communicate, but then you, you learn through conversations, like what, how to land, um, you know, like specifically like on that, that message and how to deliver mm-hmm. your message in a more concise way. Like in the beginning, when you said it, you know, oh, that's a very concise intro. <laughs> I really believe that it takes more expertise to communicate your value in a shorter amount of time then mm-hmm. just keep babbling on and on. So, mm, Yeah, no, it's good. I was a little surprised because usually people babble a little, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, in terms of kind of the experiences you've had that have made you want to help female founders specifically, you know, what are these experiences? It sounds like this is like really kind of your target market now. Has there been something that really pushed you in that direction? Um, I, you know, I grew up with a single mother and I feel like there's something about women that's like, we all want to connect deeply, but somehow Mm. we're like looking around for permission, you know, it's (laughs) like, it's like, I gotta be at a certain place or I have to be X, Y, and Z in order to be on the stage. And my, and I've just made it my mission to be like, your spot has already been bought and paid for. You just step on up you know, so whatever I can do to make you feel empowered in that way. Um, and, and it's been great, you know, hearing about other people's journeys and other female founders journeys, and maybe not feeling like you belong in every room that you walk in, but, you know, making sure like, like what Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris said, right. You're not going to be the last person. You might be the first person to do something, but you're not going to be the last person. So having (laughs) that pay it forward attitude is, is really at the, you know, I'm, I'm always reminded of that. And Mm -hmm. I'm inspired by founders like you who are doing the same. Oh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Right back at you. Um, I, I always like to ask this question because it does help give an overview of your sort of trajectory and where you want to be. If you had an extra $100,000 sitting in the bank ready to be used on whatever you want, how would you spend it? Oh my gosh. If I could, I would get amazing guest experts to come <laughs> on and speak to the founders. So like, I don't know, like, I don't think Oprah does anything for under a million dollars, but I'd love to have, you know, 15 minutes of Oprah's time. I would love Marie <laughs> Forleo to come on. I would love to have Brene Brown. I just think mm. women need, need to be able to be reminded that what they're going through is, is you know, it's, is normal and that they're not alone so they can feel seen and heard. So I would love to have like a star-studded virtual event with that, with that money and get all of my uh, idols and people that I admire into the same room and really just host, host a, a conference for women. Mm. Well, we're planting a seed now, so hopefully that can manifest for you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> um, and just in terms of, I'm sure your previous career was stressful in its own right. Have you felt that the transition into entrepreneurship has also been stressful or is it different? And how do you handle stress in general? 
you know, I, I think there's a difference. So, so there's, they say, you know, obviously entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart because you're literally <laughs> only one who is up all night thinking about your business. No one's going to care about your business as much as you do. I don't care mm-hmm. how much money you pay your employees. Right. That's true. Um, but I, so, so I think it, it, you really need to pick something that you're truly passionate about and lead with intention. So my intention is to make women feel powerful and to be able to pitch their story. PR just mm-hmm. happens to be the avenue to do that. If I don't keep my intention very close to my heart, I probably won't go very far with my business. So everything that I do, every decision I make, I have to cross check that with my intention. Is this going to fulfill my goal? Is this going to impact more people? Yes or no. And when I start to deviate with that vision, that's when I start to lose myself. That's start, that's when mm. things get messy. And that's when I start to burn out and I start to feel kind of just like not as energized throughout my day. So I think for all founders, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, a lot of different divergent paths. but what is your one intention and what is your core mission? And as long as you can make every decision mm. with that in mind, that'll help keep you in, in check. doesn't mean it's going to be easy but at least you'll have kind of a compass for all mm. of the billion decisions that you have to make <laughs> in your business. Mm, that's good. A couple more questions for you, Gloria. In terms of mentorship and being guided by some other people, have you had a mentor and have you mentored others? I know that your work is sort of mentorship in its own right, but have you kind of taken on mentees? Have you found mentors to help you along your way? Yeah, I mean, th- this is a great question because no one's really done the, like, um, going from a bureaucrat into an entrepreneur thing before. <laughs> <laughs> so I have yet to find a founder who has that. Um, but I will say that, you know, now the power of social media and YouTube is that you are able to um, share and connect with other founders. So once mm-hmm. I got clear on my niche, which is helping female founders, I'm able to connect with them on Slack, on LinkedIn. And there's so many different communities, right? So I'm a mm-hmm. part of iFundWomen and I became a coach mm-hmm. for them oh, uh, and great. female founder, female founder collective. And, you know, um, all of these different places. So I will say just if you're clear about your ideal audience, right. And, and even if you're not launched yet, there are so many platforms for women to connect on these different platforms. And, um, I just, I, I really motivate you to seek them out, whether it's a, even through a DM or if you have something you want to share, it might be writing a newsletter or a blog for them, or it might be hosting a masterclass for them. Mm. It's just about providing value in exchange for connection. Mm. That's great. I launched my company with a campaign on iFundWomen. So very nice. Oh, that, that's amazing. Is that how you found me? I don't know. We did not find you through that, but I, it's yeah. great to know that you're connected. It's a really fabulous company and sort of intention it behind really that is. business. Really Speaking really of is. intention, to go back to that, has your intention changed over time and how have you made sure that that's kind of a priority? I mean, I think it's really easy to set an intention and then to sort of forget about it down the line. How do you make sure that you keep coming back to that and has it changed? Yeah. Um, so in terms of intention, I, I think there's, okay. So I think there's a difference between like your intention and then also like, you know, tendency to people please, because you think that <laughs> is filling your intention, right? So I think women, mm. we want to say yes to everything. 
we want to think, oh, well, that is going back to my intention. I want to help everyone. So I'm going to say yes to everyone. Um, and I think being able to say no more often and um, understanding that you only have a certain amount of hours in the day and being super clear with your goals, that's going to make your yeses even more powerful, right? So I'm not just going to say yes to doing all of these free sales calls and discovery calls because I really want to work with founders who get it and who are empowered enough to have this more of a DIY approach, right? Before I was doing sales calls and just giving my time away like that. And it really burnt me out and I was mm. unable to give, you know, and, and do content and, and give the master classes that I want to do. So I had to realize that part of that was not about intention. It was just about, I didn't want to disappoint people. So I just said yes to mm. everything. And a lot of the yeses, they just kind of, you know, didn't go anywhere. And if you say yes to everything, then your yeses mean nothing. <laughs> so I think as you scale and you want to please people and you want to expand your network, you're going to be at the crossroads where you're going to be like, I have to say yes to everyone. And the more you scale your business, the more you have to be guarded with your time. And mm. you might think, well, that's awful because I want to make an impact. But I always say that's only going to save me so that I can make a bigger impact by building something that's even more valuable, right? Mm. So that's kind of how, how I do the mental gymnastics of like when I'm about to say no just to something. Hmm. That's, that's awesome. And one final question for you, Gloria. What advice would you give to somebody who's starting to feel demotivated or burnt out? Oof, that's hard. I mean, we've, we've all had a year that tested you know, <laughs> all of us. But I will say, okay, so there's two things. I think there's one, you got to share your struggles openly. The more you can mm. share it and not feel like you have to walk around with this perfect facade, the more you're able to feel not only a weight lot lifted off your shoulders, but really feel like people can connect with you, right? If I mm -hmm. came on this website, this podcast and told you about all of my success and business and this and that, like it would not really be interesting. I don't think your <laughs> listeners would still be listening at this minute mark. Mm. That you have to be very authentic with your struggles. That builds connection. Number two is, is you know so so the first one is is you know be authentic and number two i just forgot <laughs> but i i think okay sharing sure yeah i know we talked about a lot first one, one is being, yeah being open with that um and then you know and and not being afraid not being afraid to fail you know and just and being oh and being radically accountable when you are when you are in the wrong because mm. you're not going to get it right and as long as you're radically accountable and realize like you know what? That was my mess up. I'm sorry I disappointed you, whether it's a client or yourself, and forgive yourself. Give yourself permission. Mm. Um, and, and that means being accountable for not always getting it right because you're not going to get it right. That's going to allow you to move on much quicker. Because I think as women, mm. we also tr tend to like dwell on things like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't. And those things will add up if you just don't have a mechanism to just move on from it. Mm. So true. Gloria, this has been super fabulous. I really, really enjoyed listening to you. And I feel like we've got some really good PR strategies that we are ready to employ. So thank you so much for taking the time today. This has really been super beneficial to anyone who's listening. I can just already guarantee that. Thank you so much for creating a platform for women so that we can be authentic and share openly. And, and I look forward to connecting with your listeners. You can find me on social media. You can, you know, check out prstarterpack.com. Um, I'm on all the things and I'm sure you're going to put it in the listening notes as well. Mm -hmm. You will we'll be able to give all that information later. So Gloria, again, thank you so much. This has been just such an honor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.
Once again, thank you so much to Gloria for joining us for a great conversation. I hope you all learned something new. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. We would love any and all feedback. And if you're interested in learning more about Gloria Chu PR, make sure to check her out on Instagram at Gloria Chu PR, on LinkedIn via linkedin.com slash IN slash Gloria Chu, and her website, GloriaChuPR.com. If you're a new listener, make sure to check out all our amazing conversations with fierce female founders within season one, as well as our past three episodes in season two. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you can join us next week to hear from feisty founder Valerie, the co-founder of Role Models Management.